JV Knowledge Podcast Network. On episode 81 of the InsureTech Geek Podcast, talking about computer vision, imagery, and risk with Kayvon Daldar from Voxel. The InsureTech Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge, is all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. We'll be interviewing guests and doing deep dives into specific tech we see changing the industry. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. All right, all right, all right. Friday, March 11th, as we record this. It's uh, 2022. That's disturbing because I wrote uh, 2021 on uh, several uh, documents that I had to sign in the last few weeks. Uh, my brain doesn't seem to have made the leap to the next year. It's okay, though. It's going to be fine. Everything's going to be okay. It's, it seems like this, uh, Rob, this never-ending news cycle of surprises, you know, like, <gasps> you know. COVID, Omicron, Delta, Russia. <laughs> it's a, it reinforces my decision uh, two years ago to delete all the news apps off of my phone. And then uh, on my iPad, I, I have them on there, but I disabled the ability for them to notify me of anything. And so I read the news when I want to, not when it notifies me to. And I, I read the news every day. But, Rob, I had to compartmentalize news into my morning routine. So I read the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. Then from there, you know, whatever I have time for, usually Business Insider when it doesn't sound like a – Business Insider can be so trite sometimes um, and, and poorly written. But some of the articles can be good. Uh, but I, uh, I still read some of those. And it's, it's, I had to, I have had to, I've had to box in the news because it's like it's always so incendiary. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, you're, you're right. And uh, I remember as a kid, uh, we always watched the local news every night and the national news. Tom Brokaw and uh, like literally the way our dining room table was set up, it was like, you know, my mom, my dad, myself, I'm an only child. And then like a spot essentially for the TV, right? So it was like, like Tom Brokaw sitting in the end of the table, right? <laughs> with us. And so it just kind of, my dad got a bunch of magazines. So like news has always been like critically important. He still has a huge stack of newspapers and magazines, but to your point, James, like I got to a certain point where it's like, yeah, I want to know what's going on. I don't want to be ignorant or whatever, but Hey man, I got to live my life too. And I got to kind of go off and there's so much uh, wrong with the world. And unfortunately you can't, solve everything right so you kind of pick and choose causes or, or things that you're passionate about but um yeah and that's obviously how they get clicks that's how they get eyeballs that's how they make money too so I'm not saying that um you know it's it's all hype right so yeah. this is definitely legit what's going on in ukraine is sadly you know very very real but yeah. um yeah it, it, you have to find that balance for sure man i tell you what it's been a it's been it's been a lot that's all i gotta say it's been a lot with us today from uh San Francisco, Kayvon. What's going on, Kayvon? Not much, man. Thanks for having me on. Got a young buck with a young startup here to talk about technology and what they're up to. Voxel. Uh, really, really interesting story. We're going to have a lot of fun talking about that. We're going to talk about computer vision. Uh, we're going to talk about drones. 
We're going to talk about security cameras. We're going to talk about what you do with all that data, right? Like that's actually something we have to deal with is what, what the heck do we do with, the, with all this data, with all these exabytes of data we're generating? Because it, be it, it can be a bit much as well sometimes what we do. And so we're going we're gonna to have a chit chat about that. Before we do, remember uh, that you can subscribe to this podcast. If you're watching this on LinkedIn, because we live stream this on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, if you're watching it there, um, it's next week currently. So uh, hi, future self. Um, text geek out to 66866. It's G-E-E-K-O-U-T. Geek out to 66866. And you, you can get the, uh, the weekly show notes, and the news articles, everything we talk about there. Let's get to our guest. Kayvon Deldar from Voxel. He's VP of Partnerships there. V-O-X-E-L-A-I, voxelai.com. Um, Kayvon, we love talking about technology. We love talking about insurance. Love talking about risk management. Uh, but more importantly, the people behind it. Uh, let's talk about you for a second. You got a bachelor's uh, from UC California, Berkeley, um, which which is a really cool institution. I grew up. Uh, you know, I'm 42, about to be 43. Back when I was 11, 10, 11, 12, the internet was still not a thing yet. But UC Berkeley was at the center of all the operating systems that I was using. So whenever the, an OS would boot up, it would tell you like who had the intellectual property rights to the different components that were loading on the kernel and Linux or FreeBSD, the early days of those. And UC Berkeley was always on that list, man. Now, you didn't get a technology degree from Berkeley, but you still went there. Read an interesting story about UC Berkeley re- recently that they're trying to uncap enrollment so they can educate more people, and the uh, California environmental regulations are preventing them from increasing their enrollment there. So they, they're it's like the government fighting a battle against itself. The state and the, and UC Berkeley are at odds with each other over these environmental regs that are that are keeping Berkeley from expanding. But it's a fantastic institution from an educational perspective. What what led you? Did you grow up in California? Um, if so, what led you to go to Berkeley and study what you did? I grew up in Alabama, which you cannot tell from my accent, but I was in Huntsville, Alabama for 15 years. Space city. Uh, space city, rocket city. So exactly. Uh, and the founder of Wikipedia, Jimmy Wales is from there. It's just like the fun fact I throw out. But, uh, yeah, my brother, actually, my bro- I have an older brother of 13 years and he went to Berkeley because we had some, and my aunt and uncle and, and cousins that were based out here. And that's how he even applied in the first place because if you if you grew up in alabama you would probably think that like 95 percent of your classmates are going in state either to alabama auburn uab uah other schools in state uh and no one even knew about cal and uh i grew up being like a huge cal football fan you have to be a college football fan growing up in alabama yeah you do i supported them you can only root for two teams though auburn or alabama i I root for either Exactly, but I didn't root for either. And if I had to choose one or the other, I'd, I'd, tr- I'd probably choose Bama, but it was never like something else. I, I, I'm one of those rare Alabamians that supports both teams. I hope they both do well. But uh, well, well, you I know that you don't exist. No, 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 no. That makes you like a unicorn. I can't man. say that. I know I, I, know I can't say you that. You know you can't say that in Alabama. In, in, <laughs> in Mississippi, they can say that, but not in Alabama. In Alabama, that, that's, that's them fighting words in Alabama. It's like I'm not a true, it makes me a, not a true Alabamian, but uh, because of my older brother, I, I knew about Cal from a young age, visited California a bunch because of my family, and I ended up moving there in the middle of high school. And so uh, then the, the Berkeley decision was actually an in-state decision, not a crazy one. My sister moved to, to Birmingham and uh, you know still, does, still lives there after you know three decades, lives in Birmingham. And so I know that well. Uh, no, no Huntsville well, obviously. Uh, 
lot of really cool things going on there from a from a space exploration perspective and NASA and everything else. But uh, of course, uh, it's a it's a it's a cool place. So, uh, what led you to to uh, to study what you did in in college? I mean, you got a degree in uh, environmental economics and policy there at Berkeley. Um, you know, what led you to study that, and then and and what was your career goal? Yeah, I think like most. I'd say most undergrads, I had no idea what I was doing or what I wanted to do. And so I wanted to pick a major that allowed me a lot of options. And that was driving me towards econ or business. And then Berkeley has this unique degree where you can get like a Bachelor of Science, which I guess looks slightly more impressive. And that's my conceited self back then. I was like, oh, I should probably do that. Uh, because it was in a different college. It was in the College of Natural Resources, not in like the College of Letters and Sciences, which like all the traditional majors are in LNS. Uh, and it was really unique. I, I mean, like, I wouldn't consider myself like a pure environmentalist, but like, I'm very like environmentally conscious, and I wanted to learn more about the economics of water resources, which is a very big deal in in California. And there's a lot of really cool classes. So once I started looking at the curriculum, I was like, smaller classes, more attention, cooler subject, and it still allowed me the flexibility to take classes at Haas, which is the business school, as well as through the econ department, which I did. So that's what. And I, I still wanted to major there where, where I graduated. I could do law if I wanted to or go into business and just allow me a degree of flexibility. That's awesome. So y- your career since, um, you, you've uh, worked as a program manager at uh, Amina. You uh, Then 2017 and 18, you were innovation manager at InsureTech uh, Plug and Play Tech Center. And then at 18 to 21, director of Singapore InsureTech. Like what led you from this environmental economics degree into insure tech? Sure. I think I have a pretty good story to, to make everything make sense. But uh, the Amina Center was like an internship I did while I was at Cal. And I, did, I took a gap year actually after I graduated. Uh, so I did that for about four or five years while I was there. And the whole purpose was kind of building the gap between the Middle East and Silicon Valley, either through uh, academics, academic institutions, or through startups, VCs, kind of just bridging that gap. And so even from a young age, like watching like the early days of Shark Tank, I had a huge affinity towards startups and you don't hear about it much in Alabama, but once you move to the Bay Area, it's all you hear about. So when I was like 15, I moved here. It was all about like, what are the big startups at that point? And that was like Uber and Lyft around that time. They're just getting started. So always had an affinity towards that. And I, and I went to the my boss at that time, the director of the media center, I was like, do you have any connections within anyone within the innovation ecosystem? I don't care if it's a VC, if it's a startup, if it's an accelerator, it doesn't matter. And uh, this is where like the, the Persian mafia comes in a little bit. Which is, like, <laughs> they the, are a mafia, man. I tell you what. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's absolute facts. Uh, I don't know if I say it on the air, but. Uh, <laughs> oh, but it's the truth, man. It's, it, I have so it, many it, Persian it friends in, in Texas. They're awesome. <laughs> They're awesome. But man, they are thick, man. They are thick. So. That came that came through and helping because I was I mean to be honest I was really frustrated I had like a great degree a good GPA and like I couldn't get like a job that I wanted out of college like any of the consulting firms or and now in hindsight it was like a, a complete blessing but I went to him and I was like hey anything and then he's like have you heard of plug and play and I was like no I've never heard of plug and play he's like well it's like one of the largest accelerator programs in the world and the CEO is Iranian and I have worked with them like on stuff in the past and got like essentially a warm intro, did my internship there that summer in, in summer of 2017, uh, interned with quite a number of teams actually. So like if you're plug and play does a different industry verticals. So they have like about 18 different industries at that time it was around 13. 
And I didn't know anything about insurance. All I knew that is I hated insurance. I was like, they don't pay claims. They're, <laughs> it's an old industry. It's boring. They have good commercials, which I saw on all the I saw all the Aflac commercials and Geico and all the college football games. So that was my exposure to insurance. And uh, I really joined that team because the the head of the insurance vertical at that time just really pushed for it. And I was like, okay, I trust you. Like, let's let's see this out. And kind of been an insure tech guy ever since. Just, awesome decision. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's interesting how our personal interaction with insurance can shape what we decide to do from a, from a, you know, from a career perspective. And we've seen so many guests on the podcast that have come in that said, Hey, I had a negative experience on a claim or I had a negative experience where I had a loss or we had a significant loss event and it, uh, it led them to, to, to going into this. So let's, Let's shift gears and talk about Voxel. What's the origin story there? Cool. I mean, the origin story from the perspective of the CEO. Uh, I mean, I'm, the reason I even joined is like we were friends for the past 10 years. So is he Iranian? I was <laughs> Dude, he is. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, my career is just going to be like, if I ever have an autobiography, it'll be like how the Persian mafia built me. Exactly. But, uh, <laughs> but I would say either of us are like not really cool enough or important enough to be part of that mafia yet, but hopefully, hopefully future. You will be your future, your future, man. I appreciate it. But so Fox at the beginning, uh, it was a bunch of previous kind of co-founders and colleagues that were coming together. They were still doing their full-time jobs at like Google, Uber self-driving car team. And, and Alex is a CEO, entrepreneur, Alex is a CEO. And they saw the developments that were happening within labeling and computer vision the technologies that were allowing these companies to like have viable products and scale and they were trying to think about different industries where they could like apply this technology uh, and the first one they thought of was within health tech so partnering and, and selling to gyms or other kind of fitness studios to leverage cameras to coach people's form think about like the mirrors of the world that like uh Lulu yeah. Or, yeah lululemon acquired so essentially productizing that and selling it to gyms nationwide and, and globally and then COVID happened so this was like early days of COVID and all the gyms were closing so about mid 2020 they were just kind of stuck and still doing their normal jobs and eventually through one of the co-founders they met an advisor who's ex-AIG and, and currently head of insurance at Waymo and, and she suggested uh, to explore the industrial space with manufacturing warehouses and things of that nature because at AIG she was underwriting or she was actually looking at a lot of these risks and she's like this is a huge space where there's a lot of accidents and uh, they're preventable and there's, there needs to be more data around this more actionable insights in real time and I think your technology would be a good fit and that's how Voxel kind of got into the industry art today man that's fantastic that's, fa that's, that's fantastic and how has Voxel now evolved from its starting premise although it's really early days at Voxel um What's the core premise of the company and how has that already evolved in the early days? Once we started talking to our first customer, which was Americold, uh, we were just like, what are your top indicators for risk or like what leads to accidents on site? And then what can we actually see through a camera? Like, let's just start from the basics of like solving your problems. Uh, and a lot of those were focused around safety. So things around like forklift safety, ergonomics, missing protective equipment spill detection just like kind of key indicators blocks blocked exits and aisles and then eventually we realized that safety teams like sometimes they have some power but usually they they don't have too much budget or power through organizations and to labor yourself as a safety company 
uh, might not be the best for like growing and scaling the company to uh, like yeah. unicorn status and beyond. So we were talking about our, our URL earlier. So we used to be called voxelsafety.com and now we changed it to voxel AI because we want the AI to be across different functions within organizations, especially operations. So uh, one of the main use cases we started developing with these cold storage companies, which Americold and US Cold and some of our other clients are, are within, is that when they have open doors for too long of a period of time, then cold energy leaves the facility. Mm. And then in turn, that increases uh, energy. I'm sorry, cold air is leaving the facility, which increases energy costs. And that's like a huge operational ROI for these companies in particular. It's not so applicable to other industries, but if you start extrapolating on operational efficiencies within a warehouse, like productivity for the workforce, asset utilization, or like picking rate, packing rate, is are certain functions and operations being done correctly and timely? Uh, that's kind of the direction we're moving towards. So building both safety and operations, because we feel they go hand in hand. Yeah, they, ab, ab, absolutely. And that is something, there's a third leg to that that's interesting. When you really start dealing with safety, um, you also can deal with productivity, which is a major, major issue. Because if you have cameras and tracking and data, then you can say, okay, well, we've made the, we've made the site, the work site safer but now uh, we've actually can make it more productive, which is a, a huge, you know, financial driver um, for for a lot of folks. I mean, it's uh, it, it, a much bigger driver than even safety in some cases. Although, although uh, it, is, uh, it is it is definitely a much bigger driver, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great conversation to have. Talk about productivity because uh, you know a safer work site is is more profitable, and uh, you know that's that's also uh, something particularly interesting to uh, to a lot of folks. You know. Um, yeah, so, and especially now with like the labor crisis, it's how do you get the most out of your workforce that you have today, uh, and as that might even continue to decrease in the future. So it's yeah. increasingly becoming more and more important. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. Rob, yeah, Kayvon, thrilled to have you on. Um, great to see you again. Uh, I, I'm curious, maybe you can tell our uh, audience just a little bit more. You know, what is computer vision? I know I've had experience in the past and. Uh, things like workers' compensation, where you might have uh, ergonomic experts go out and they, you know, take measurements. They have a form. They kind of give recommendations, or maybe you even use wearables type technology. But the experience is, hey, the day-to-day -day activities of those workers and operations, like the act of being observed, actually changes behavior, right? And doesn't maybe necessarily give you a clear picture of what does it look like on a a true day-to-day -day basis, whereas computer vision can kind of be in the background and, and not be front and center for those workers. So they kind of go about their day, but then you are able to um, leverage right existing infrastructure from security cameras and elsewhere to maybe get a true picture of the operations, what's going on. So we'd love for you you know, describe, many people probably have heard of computer vision, but don't know what it is. And then, you know, kind of uh, what are your ideas on the best cases to leverage this technology? Absolutely. Uh, you answered a lot of it on, on your own, but I'll kind of reiterate some of the stuff you said. I think when I, the first thing I think about when I think of computer vision is like self-driving cars. It's like the one industry that we showcase, like, okay, here's like the application. When you see, I guess in the streets of San Francisco, you see like Waymo and like they have all the cameras on the cars, the LiDAR radars. It's essentially using, using video to pick up object detection and different insights around your environment and then creating insights out of that like oh when you see this you should stop so similarly we've trained our general computer model to detect like what does a person look like what does a pallet look like what does a floor look like what does a forklift look like and then from there you can build specific rules around that saying oh when the forklift is not stopping here flag it so essentially 
as you mentioned, running all the time on existing security cameras um, and getting actionable insights based off of the rules that we create based off the video feed. So that's in essence what the computer vision software is doing. And you can just build more and more kind of detect, and you have to train the model, of course. And I think that's the biggest challenge right now. And that's why it's such an expensive and, and big problem is like, where do you get the data? And that's it's essentially like a greenfield race. It's like computer vision's application in the industrial sector are like, is pretty new. And there's a few emerging players in that space. It's like, who can get the right data? Who can train it accurately and deploy it and scale? So that's kind of where we're at right now. Yeah, it's a, it is a giant machine learning training race. It's uh, it's wild mm -hmm. because a lot of folks are using very similar uh, ML models. You know, they're using a lot of the same same cloud computing stacks. So there's not a uh, you know they're they're using Azure AWS and or Google Cloud Compute, whatever whatever cloud, and, and they're going and using some really similar model models in this uh, in this field. And so you then it becomes uh, a, a, a definitively an arms race around um, around who's going to train their model with better data quicker. And how fast your model can learn and adapt um, to uh, you know to what's going on, and, and so it's a, a pretty uh, pretty pretty interesting pretty interesting space when you talk about machine learning. We've seen, I've seen, and, and we've worked with quite a few um, machine learning um, uh, machine learning uh, startups in the industrial sector that are using security cam footage, crane cameras, sensors, and cameras on cranes. Um, you know, web-based security cameras, uh, cameras on hard hats. Like, I mean, you know, the the list goes on. There's a, there's a lot of people that are trying to leverage all this data. What, what's like the end game for you guys? I mean, other, other than obviously raising money and then selling and making a bunch of money, because that's always the end game of every startup. But like, what's the end game for the customer? How what 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 is truly transformed at at the end insured? The, the one the, the the end customer yeah i think there's a lot of i mean this is like the question that excites me the most and probably why i joined in the first place is there's a lot of different directions this can go uh but the main thing we're focusing on right now is like building more and more kind of actionable use cases more and more data that the operations team the safety team can leverage making the work environment safer and giving them more insights into like productivity throughput and other kind of key metrics that would happen uh, within the warehouse or manufacturing facility. And then you talk about cross industry. So you're talking about like oil and gas, maybe you have like offshore like rigs that like also have very catastrophic accidents, chemical plants, uh, steel, lumber manufacturing, like the list goes on just in terms of industry breadth. And then, you have, and then you have value added services on top. Like we haven't dived into insurance yet, but like insurance and workers comp is a huge risk and like creating a more accurate risk score for underwriting there is like a very interesting topic claims and fraud detection within accidents that do end up occurring is another untapped space that uh and it's because like right now video is just so manual but when you have computer vision that's actually like trying to detect and, and store these kinds of footage and data then it becomes easier to facilitate that so and that's just within insurance and then we could obviously run down that entire rabbit hole and then you have the whole software piece so right now you have like VMS solutions, which are like video monitoring solutions. You have EHS solutions that are more focused on safety. And then you have like the traditional like WMS, LMS, TMS systems that like a warehouse or manufacturing company could go. So I think any of those directions are really interesting. And it's more about where does the market take us and what do we partner with? What do we try to build on our own? And I think that's what's really exciting. Yeah, awesome. Rob? I want to drill in on some of those insurance use cases, Kayvon, and um, just like other... Uh, AI startups, uh, you know, we kind of touched on it, but 
the more data you have, the better your uh, AI is going to be, and the the more use cases you kind of enable. Um, this is definitely something that it would be very difficult for, say, a carrier to to do on their own, even a, a large carrier, because you're going to have access to so much more uh, video that's going to train better models. Um, you touched on like workers comp, and I imagine general liability property, there's probably several different use cases that you enable. So I was just kind of hoping for our audience, you could kind of flesh those out a little bit just so that they can get a, a really firm grasp on how they could benefit from your technology. Yeah, but as you, as you mentioned, like in my previous life, I was a plug and play where we were bridging a gap between startups and, and insurance companies. And like, that's the number one thing you hear is like, can we build this on our own? And usually, even if the answer is no, they'll say yes. But this is like, I feel like one of those rare cases where they look at it and they're like, whoa, this is definitely something I think we should partner with because we might not have like the CV or computer vision engineering talent or like the data, as you mentioned, to to build this. So like it does put us in a nice spot with with regards to the insure tech industry. I'd say the main thing is workers comp. So in safety is is a big concern and and the claims do still occur. Uh, so in a fifty, I guess a fifty sixty billion dollar workers comp industry just in the U.S. Uh, I was looking at like some like historical loss run data and. Uh, it seems like the expense ratio is around 80%, which is still pretty good. But then like, that's the like 80% of opportunity to us, right? Like how do we reduce the number of accidents that are happening on site and giving insurance companies the data and the insights around like, what is the risk at a certain facility? And it's more of a preventive technology right now. So here's the risk, this site or this general manager or the safety manager gets ahead of it in real time saying like, oh, and we, we don't want to be punitive to like, we don't do facial recognition. Like we're very cognizant around employee safety and employee kind of identity protection but we do want it to be used as a, as a positive behavior tool where the person that's responsible for that behavior change on site actually has like real footage to showcase and and show that the the team to change their behavior so definitely workers comp i think eventually with like spill detection and slip chips and falls like we definitely want to go into the gl space property is definitely interesting but i think to james's point of like working with different kinds of like sensor companies right now we're purely visual so yeah anything you can detect on a camera but like pipe bursts and like sometimes fire detection or things that are invisible like gas leaks you, you can't really so I, I think that's a bigger part is like how do we also partner with these companies that complement our vision technology for like the invisible things but all those risks are very interesting and then as you look down the value chain we're trying to build like a value proposition for the brokers for the carriers for the reinsurers if possible i'm just I just now realized that even TPAs have loss control and risk teams, which is like yep. the whole other <laughs> they do <laughs> path they can go down. Yeah, yeah. so I, I just learned that this past week talking to a few people at a, well, at a captive insurance conference, and then captives are another space that are yeah. quite interesting. So most people don't know that TPAs really operate like carriers without any paper. I mean, they they do underwriting and policy administration and claims handling. I mean, TPAs really. They do it all. Uh, they're 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 involved in a lot of the the nitty gritty nuts and bolts. I've been working for TPAs now for fifteen years, and uh, it's 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 been a, a kind of a wide and deep swimming pool to swim in, if you know what I mean. Um, learning uh, how, how much they have to tackle on a daily basis, they end up picking up the pieces often for um, you know a, a lot of companies that really don't want to do the 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 really hard work of, of administering claims and, and policies. It's just not easy. And so uh, you, they end up, they end up with loss control teams just like everybody else does. There's, there's a huge tie cave on between um, safety, productivity, profitability, risk management. They're all like this, this interconnected ball. And, um, and so when you start kind of unraveling, you realize how many people benefit from, 
from an, an, an analysis. I mean, th think about this, and this is what this really fascinates me. I love talking about doing something with unstructured data. How much unstructured data there is in the world, and we're talking about just exabytes of exabytes, right? Like, just I, I don't know what the total world's data storage is now. It's something of some absurd number. But how much of that is dedicated to storing historical video data that never gets analyzed or used for anything, right? I mean, it's mm -hmm. it's a lot. It's absurd. And, um, you know, how many people don't use, you know, they have cameras, they don't do anything with them, they don't even know if they're working, and uh, it's even hard to index or find data later. And so there's uh, there's been there's been some really great companies that have tried to tackle that. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that for sure. Uh, Rob, what you got? Uh, just building on your point, actually, James. So um, I could be wrong, Kevon, so correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding on a lot of security cam footage is it's actually not um, retained for long, you know, and you may even have like 30 minutes or a day and it basically, it's like an old VCR or old VHS tape, right? Where you taped over that thing over and over. And so you're actually, to help with that storage cost, you're actually losing a lot of the data that you're capturing. And it's only if an incident happens where you're like, I want to go back, you know, a few hours or a day or two, like you may not be able to go back, say past a month. And so you're kind of not leveraging the infrastructure, not leveraging the data that you have. You know, we talk about data as the new oil, right? That kind of powers commerce. But I don't know. I think cases, oil is a new oil right now, man. Sorry. Well, yeah. well, yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. But anyway, I'm, I'm, so Kayvon, just kind of on that, maybe you can comment on that. And, and I'm, I'm sure this idea of computer vision and um, the type of uh, ways that uh, insurance entities could benefit, this is a brand new concept for them. So, you know, do you have any advice for them in terms of determining, um, you know, how should they consider this technology and, and I guess exploring its potential use um, in their in their operations? Okay, thanks, Rob. Yeah, just to tackle the first point, you're right. Like right now, video is mostly useless at a lot of companies. Like there might be like a VMS solution that's like, and there are companies that are doing like people detection and forklift detection but they're like the the insights aren't truly there and it's actually like a very hard problem to solve like we're still working on it and like that's always like a day-to-day -day problem with the use cases that we get but in terms of working with insurance companies and any any advice i would have is uh especially within like the workers comp carriers they have their either mid mid market or, or larger clients which is kind of the segment that we sit in and there are some i'm sure that have had higher accident frequency. And this could be a very interesting tool to bring to those, even for those that don't have it, it's just a value added tool. And especially if you're a carrier that's risk taking, like they're incentive. And that's what I love about my job is like as a head of partnerships, like I'm trying to find these win-win or win-win-win partnerships. And working with carriers does truly seem to be a win-win-win where Voxel is obviously winning if it gets deployed, the customer is winning if the workplace is safer, and then the insurance company is winning given that we should be leading to, to lower loss ratios and more or less, uh, claims frequency and severity. So that's just something I, I recommend insurance companies look into the space and computer vision is a newer technology, but can have huge impl implications for that part of the business. And eventually when we're kind of more mature on that side, GL and property are also super interesting. And those are much bigger segments, but also way more competitive, way more data. And, uh, but workers comp is kind of our sweet spot right now. Yeah, comp is my uh, comp is my poison of choice uh, <laughs> as well. I've I've spent the majority of my career in insurance tech in uh, in comp. Um, you know, fifteen of the 
17 or 18 years I've been uh, building tech and it, the, the problems are so complex and the benefits are so big to, uh, to, to, to fixing the, the issues that it's, uh, it, it, it provides a, uh, a compelling workspace to get things done. Well, let's wrap up with this. Um, what do you see? What we're seeing in computer vision is a pretty exciting future in general. Um, there's, there's some really, really great, um, exciting tech coming, um, on the camera end and, uh, and imagery. And certainly like, you know, the, the higher the megapixels get, the better the photogrammetry is, the more we can do with the data. Um, what, what do you see as the, as the long game on the tech side of things? Like what really gets you, what gets your company geeked out, um, that, that you think is just around the horizon that could really, uh, really, really, uh, help us, whether it's enhanced resolution on 360 cameras or enhanced resolution on, or maybe it's gigapixel images or whether it's, whether it's advances in machine learning and, and machine learning models. I mean, what, what, what's really getting y'all geeked out? Yeah. I think the sheer amount of capital that's going into computer vision or machine learning, like infrastructure, and that could be on kind of the data labeling side with you have like unicorns, like scale AI that like, that's their entire business. So more and more money is like kind of flooding into this space as a result of, I think autonomous vehicle, success or like progress at least uh and i think it's just gonna become a bigger space moving forward like i'm a big believer in self-driving cars and computer vision wherever there's like an actual viable business case i think that's like probably the most exciting piece for me i'm not a camera expert i'm trying to learn more and more every day about like i just learned what a vms and nvr were like on the job while i joined voxel like i didn't deal with workers comp or even computer vision that much in my at my plug and play days so still pretty new in terms of like the resolution. What I will say is like we're camera and like VMS agnostic. So even like we have like one of our clients has like really old cameras and it doesn't necessarily matter because for some specific use cases, obviously you want higher resolution if you're like really looking for something small or minute in the background. But if you're like trying to track a person or a forklift, you can usually, if, you, if a human can see it from the camera, the, the software can as well. Um, but I'm just very excited about like the just macroeconomic trends of like money flooding into computer vision. I think that's what led, that's what, what has led to our success in fundraising so far in like a relatively short amount of time. Yep. And ho hopefully that continues. Well, you know, a lot of people will lose their investment and a lot of people will win. It's going to be a, you know, it, it, that's the way it works. But the, the nice thing in, in technology investment, um, and I, you know, I've been, been around this, uh, kind of a salty dog tech guy at 21 years now, but, uh, even when when companies aren't successful in their core mission, uh, often their intellectual property gets repurposed into into other companies. And so, the the nice thing about capital inflows is that it it spawns all this idea generation and experimentation at a mass scale. And then even the ones that fail and don't don't become commercially viable end up getting utilized. The ones that do become commercially viable um, can can radically transform how we do uh, a specific task. I mean, I. I if you just think about security cameras in general and how that and just, just security cameras for the purpose of security, how that has totally radically changed in the last few years. And it all it was all because of heavy investment um, in some consumer facing applications like Nest, which ended up getting acquired by Google and then in Ring, which ended up getting acquired by Amazon. Um, you know, for every one of those, there were three or four that didn't work out, but they all stood on top of each other and eventually got to a way to, to a place where all of us. I mean, I've got a bunch of Nest cameras and they tell me when a package is dropped off of my door. They tell me when someone doesn't, you know, when, some, when a person is walking by versus an animal. I mean, 
I don't have to look at my camera to know what's going on because it's looking for me. And, and that's just freaking amazing. Like to, to me, that, that is, that is a, that is an awesome piece of tech and how it's been applied. So, uh, that's, that's exciting. And I agree with you. Capital inflows are, are an exciting, exciting, uh, story for all of us. Cause it means that big problems are going to get solved. We don't know exactly by whom, but they're, they're, you know, big problems are going to continue, you know, going to get solved with, with that much money being invested. Yeah. Rob, uh, how do you want to wrap us up? Yeah, I just uh, a comment, and then we can uh, pivot to to our news items of the week, James. But um, I'm really excited about the potential for computer vision. We're very much kind of in the um, early throes of it, and and I think um, you know based on what you've kind of described, Kayvon, you guys uh, from a partnership perspective, looking for insurance entities that are a little bit more on the cutting edge that are more innovative, that are willing to kind of sit down with you to discuss kind of the value proposition and maybe sketch something out. And I think um, you're open to having them kind of help shape, you know, the development of this technology, which is an exciting space as somebody that's been on the insurance side for so long to be where you can kind of almost co-develop in some sense, right. Uh, along and build out some of these use cases for you guys and the technology. And I know that there's a lot of benefit that can be derived here. And like you said, it's a win, 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 win for Voxel, win for that insurance entity and, and ultimately win for the insured, right. That has a, um, a reduction in, in losses and creating a safer space. So very exciting. Yeah. Um, so I've got a couple news items this week, uh, James, that I want to run by you. They actually have to do with data as well, similar to what we've been talking about with Kayvon. These are both on the auto space. The first one, a really interesting article uh, from the insurance journal, who owns Tesla's vehicle performance data? Uh, really gets <laughs> Big into, question there, isn't it? <laughs> uh, a lot of the information. It is. Yeah. And, you know, we might think that, hey, well, you're the driver, you own this data. And for things like event data recorders um, for the last 20 years that have been around, you know, if you have an accident, you kind of want to understand what was going on at the time of the accident. Usually that is the driver's data. Oftentimes insurance companies will ask for the permission to access it, of course, because they're trying to determine uh, the cause of loss for accident investigation and things like that. But the vehicle data is um, a little bit more nuanced. It's actually not clear who owns it. Uh, some people feel the driver owns it. Some people feel that the auto manufacturer owns it. In this case, we're talking about Tesla, but you know, think about Ford, GM, et cetera. And some people think, hey, you know, bodies that govern accidents, such as the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and others, like they should be able to, to get this access to, particularly if there's an accident involving a fatality, say, or something like that, and there's a court case. So anyway, a really fascinating article, uh, vehicle performance data becoming much, much bigger, rather than just the, the smaller subset of event data recording, you're getting access to a whole bunch more data. So the question of who owns it, what it can be used for, quite fascinating, encourage folks to, to check that out. And then um, actually very similar lines, Verisk and Ford, uh, this is from Coverager, announced that they have a partnership to offer connected car data in Europe. Now this is with the driver's permission, but Verisk basically takes connected car data from Ford uh, and they create their own metrics based on that. And then they will turn around and sell that to insurance entities, including at point of quote. So it could be ah, used yeah. as part of a, uh, generating a quote for a driver based on their individual driver behavior and stuff like that. Um, this mirrors a uh, partnership that they announced last year in the US, but I just found it fascinating. We know Europe is really tough with GDPR, privacy information and all that. Again, the driver in this instance is giving their permission uh, to be used, but just shows that there's definitely insurance applications for this type of data. Awesome. 
Very, very cool. A couple of news stories I thought were interesting, Rob. Um, first, Mosaic Insurance is acquiring Serious Point. And if you look, um, the Mosaic Insurance is a global specialty insurer. They have a wholly owned syndicated capital management agency. Um, they launched an InsurTech platform last year in partnership with CXC um, that were, they were trying to increase the speed that they, you know, sold under it and, and serviced insurance, they're acquiring serious points, um, wholly owned subsidiary, serious international managing agency, SEMA. Uh, and it, it's really being couched as an insure tech aggregation play, which is interesting because they're, they're, they're saying that they're excited about serious points. Uh, what they, what they describe as their disruptive technology driven insurance businesses. And, um, and they're 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 kind of leading the acquisition, wrapping it in an insure tech blanket, talking about uh, all the, all the technology initiatives that they have. So, I thought that was a uh, an interesting news story, only because it's kind of a traditional M and A story that's being wrapped in a blanket of uh, of insure tech. Secondly, the insurance marketplace for automotive uh, retail, uh, Poly, they're partnering with Car Now which is an automotive digital retail service provider so that they can provide embedded insurance. This has been um, part of the discussion Rob and I have had many times about what the hell is InsureTech <laughs> because we've had technology insurance for a long time. Rob and I have been around this business for a long time and we've, uh, we've been leading the way in, in, in automation and in, 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 in technology adoption and insurance for, uh, for quite some time. And so, you know, you could argue that InsurTech's been underway for decades. It's just what is modern InsurTech, and one of those things is embedded. That is a uh, definitively a theme um, of insurance because it makes it easier to buy and write in insurance. And so, I thought this was a interesting partnership that's going to lead to even more embedded insurance opportunities. Rob, I know you've seen a lot of embedded plays, and it's been a it's been a serious deal. Yeah, it continues to be hot and popular, and it, it makes a lot of sense, right? Um, from a distribution standpoint, I know the um, there's a cost benefit for sure if you can go embedded versus the, the yeah. typical steep customer acquisition cost, whether that's through agent broker channel or going to direct to consumer. So, um, and, you know, as always, there's a lot more news we could talk about, but those are our highlights for this week. A great conversation with Kayvon. Um, my uh, my my new Persian friend. See, I always like to have Persian friends because in case I get into a situation, I can say, "Hey, uh, are you cousins or friends with Kayvon?" And then see that it, <laughs> it might get me out of a bind at some point in time. Um, I, I have I there there are some great 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 Persian families that settled in College Station, Texas, where I live, and I have become good friends of mine. And so uh, it's uh, it's always good uh, meeting a new Persian friend, but also. Uh, a fellow Southerner who has who has gone out to California to to chase chase insuretech dreams. Uh, Kayvon, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, James. Thanks, Rob. It's been awesome. Yeah, good to have you on here. And uh, just a big thanks to all of our listeners out there in listener land. Uh, this has been the InsureTech Geek Podcast, uh, powered by JB Knowledge. That's jbknowledge.com. It's all about transforming and disrupting the insurance world. I've been your host, James Benham. That's jamesbenham.com with co-host Rob Galbraith. That's endofinsurance.com. Big thanks to Jim Greenlee, our podcast producer, Kara dalton Alro, our creative producer. And thank you for joining us today. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech. So enjoy the ride and geek out. See you next time.